What's happening, everybody? It's great to see you all. You all look so good today, and it feels so right in here this morning. Today, I'm going to continue with the series that I started last week titled Learning to Love, and this will be the second part of this series. And if you were not here last week to hear the first part, I would encourage you to go on to the podcast and listen to that episode because it'll really tie into what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, if you don't have an iPhone, you can also download SoundCloud for your Android phone and listen to all of the messages as well on your phone. Or you can go to our website, which is rockcitycorpus.com, and all the messages are right there. There's a big sermon button that you can click, and you'll hear have all my message at your fingertips, okay? So the title of my message this morning is Learning to Love. It's the second part of this series. And the understanding about learning to love is the mindset that love is something that has to be cultivated and taught and experienced in order to know what it really is. Love isn't a gift, it's a fruit. Okay, so let's say that together. Now I have you interact with me so that you can say things and in turn it gets into your spirit better. So let's say love is a gift, love is a fruit, fruit. not a gift. gift. So the premise is, is you don't just get love. Love is something that has to be cultivated. It has to be nurtured. It has to be taught. It has to be developed. And there's a lot of different understandings about love and there's a lot of different definitions of what love is. Now, love is a pretty complicated topic. It's not as simple as you might think it is. So I'm going to do my very best to keep it simple for you this morning. I'm going to do my best to break it down for you in a way that you can understand. What I want you to know is I'm going to give you a lot of concepts that you might have to develop on your own or process in your personal time with the Lord. I won't be able to obviously hit everything. Last week, I talked about how Jesus really demonstrated his love to the disciples at the Last Supper especially when one of them would betray him, one would deny him, and nine would leave him when he got to the cross, okay? And even before that, he would take off his cloak, take off his power and authority for a moment, and kneel down to serve and show the disciples that despite their dysfunction, despite what they would do, and despite betraying and denying, he would love them all the way to the end, all right? And so most people don't really know what it means to love or how to love, and that was the case for me. And many of you have heard my story. Some of you haven't heard my story. But basically, I was born out of wedlock. My parents were not married. My blood father was a band manager for Barbara Streisand, Rod Stewart, Tina Turner, and he was making a ton of money at the time. This was, was in 1970, all right? So I'm 46 years old, so that you know. And in 1970, the last thing that my dad was thinking about was having a child. And so he hooked up with my 24-year-old Greek mama, who was really, really cute and a model at the time and a hairdresser. And of course, voila, one night stand, there I am. That's pretty much how it happened, all right? (laughs) And so please understand that my story is not everybody's story. But sadly, my story is a lot of people's story. And what we do at Rock City Church is we help people to get healing. We help people to get their broken fixed. We help people to get a healthy understanding of what real life and real love should look like. This is a place of healing. So if you come in today hurting, broken, strife in your marriage, addictions in your personal life, uh, having warped belief systems about God or yourself or others, I'm here to help you, and so is this church. And so the topics that I bring up are really designed to put things into a right perspective. Now, I share a lot about my testimony because Jesus said that we would be witnesses all over the world, that we would be his witnesses in sharing the gospel and making and raising up believers and disciples all over the world. 
The understanding of being a witness is the mindset that something has happened to me that I can testify to. So if I don't have something happen to me or an experience happen in my life, I can't be a witness to something. If I didn't see it, feel it, or experience, there's no witness, right? And so I share my testimony a lot because it puts things into perspective. It also shows just how much the Lord has set me free because I'm not afraid to talk about it. And it helps to identify us to identify together that you're not alone in whatever it is that you're facing. And so I try to keep it really relevant. I also try to keep all my messages rated G because I know there's kids in here. But even rated G, according to the world standards, can be dysfunctional. I'm talking about rated G for rated God. So you have to understand that I'm going to try to do my best to bring you a word that is relevant from the heart of the Lord without watering it down. I know there's a lot of times there's children in here. There's some terminology that I'm going to use like pornography and some other things. Sometimes I say the word sex and other things, and you're going to have to understand I'm not going to get graphic, but I'm going to use some of these terms to help understand how people get a false understanding of what real love is. And I don't want to water it down. The world doesn't water it down. Okay. And so we've got to be real. We've got to talk about some of these difficult subjects so that we can get a healthy perspective of what love is and what love isn't. So in order to know what true love is, we need to also understand what true love is not, right? And there's a lot of false belief systems about what love is out in the world. So today I want to teach you about what love really is and give you an understanding so that you can have an experience for your life and testify to it. And so I was born out of wedlock and uh, my mom started living with a man at the eight, at when I was five. And from five until nine, my mom lived together with a man that ultimately became my dad. They never married though, but he took me in as his own son. He was really my stepdad, but I considered him my dad. And so my mom was living out of wedlock with another man starting at five, all the way up till nine. Then my, the, the, that, that man who became my dad uh, moved to Missouri and I followed after to live with him and was raised by a single father. I would only visit my mom a couple times a year in Florida. My mom did not stay with us in Missouri. I'd go back to Miami to visit her a couple times a year, okay? But I was mainly raised by a single father. And at about the age of 10, my dad said to me, now, son, you're going to have sex, so make sure that you use a condom so that you don't get the girl pregnant. I was 10, okay? And so by the age of 14, I lost my virginity. And of course, I was rocking out to 80s music. I was listening to 80s music, and I thought to myself, you know, all, I'm, all I saw was dysfunction. I was living in a small town in Missouri where everybody was sleeping around and cheating on each other, and I saw no good, healthy pictures of what real love was. And then I said to myself, what's love got to do with it? <laughs> So, so Tina Turner's number one song in 1984, by the way, number one song, who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? And the premises is love has nothing to do with it. And that was the mindset that I was raised in, is that what I saw of real love was really a skewed picture of self-preservation and filling a void that was inside of me because I really didn't know what true love was, Okay. And so that caused a world of dysfunction and spinning out. 
caused me to live at the bars and the clubs, looking for one-night stands and hookups, sleeping around with who knows who. And I don't even want to go into the detailed track record of what I experienced by the time I was 20 and what I did. It was a lot of dysfunction. It was a lot of brokenness and looking for love in all the wrong places. Okay? That one's coming in a minute, by the way. Just prepare yourself. You know I queued that one up for today, all right? Okay, so I'm going to give you guys some terms. I'm going to teach you a little bit. I'm going to try not to be so over your head. I'm going to try to keep it simple. Are you working on the microphone there? Okay. And so I'm going to give you some terminology, and I'm going to help you understand why love has to be learned. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the pattern of how people spin out of control and how we have such a world of dysfunction when it comes to love, okay? So all of us must learn to love, but in order to do this, we have to look at what it is and what it isn't. We have to grow in the understanding of God's love for us because it's a fruit, not a gift. And I'll explain that to you in just a little while. To understand what love is, let's look at some of the definitions of what what the Bible says and what some Greek terminology of the word love stands for. So one of the most basic terms for the word love is the word storge in the Greek. Okay, Now, you're not going to remember that. You don't need to because it's all Greek to you. But understand that I'm half Greek and I'm half Jewish, all right? And so I break a lot of the Hebrew and the Greek down for you because it's like treasure hunting in the Bible. So I do a lot of work to give you a lot of understanding on a Sunday morning. But I want to encourage you in your own personal time as you begin to dive into the word to start treasure hunting for yourself. The original Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. And each of the words have a lot of different meanings. And so what I do is I downloaded the Blue Letter Bible, which is a free app for your phone. You can get it on your computer, the internet as well. And anytime I'm reading the Bible, I have a few different versions of the Bible, but anytime I'm reading and a word jumps out to me, I'll go and look at it in the Greek or the Hebrew, and I discover a whole nother world of understanding, okay? And so to teach you, I'm not just trying to fascinate you with intellectual Greek and Hebrew, nor do you have to go to Bible college to learn Greek and Hebrew, okay? My mom didn't teach me Greek when I was young, but I had a fascinating desire to learn it and to study it out a little bit more. So I give you these words because so much of our English language is based on these words and these concepts. So this word for storge is the understanding of family love that bonds family together. Okay? It's the love that a parent has for their child and a, and a love that a child desires to have reciprocated to them from their parent. Okay? This is the idea of that a child is prone to love or a parent is prone to love. It's this natural instinct love that everybody has for their family, okay? Now, this love can get very skewed based on how you were raised or what you experienced when you were a child, okay? If you were abused, if your parents talked down to you, if they told you you were a mistake, you never should have happened, you're stupid, you're an idiot, I wish we'd have had a boy instead of a girl or vice versa, There's so many things that can really skew that love when you're young. But this is the love for for your family, for kin, okay? Especially between parents and their children. And it's the idea that even though children are born broken, all of us were born broken, we still have a desire and a need to love and to be loved. Now, when I say everybody's born broken, please don't get offended. I'll give you the most easiest understanding. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. I never taught my children to bite, pull hair, kick, scream, hit, fight over their toys. I never said, now you fight over that toy when your brother takes it. 
None of those things. When my kids get frustrated at two and four and they're so upset, they, their natural instinct and reaction is to hit back, scream, you know, fight for the toy. All kinds of crazy things happen with a two and a four-year-old. And so the understanding from a biblical standpoint is that there was a virus that infected all of mankind from the, from the garden, and it's still affecting people today until they get born again. Everybody is born with a Freudian life mindset, a carnal mindset that's broken that needs to be redeemed at some point. And that only gets redeemed when you give your life to Jesus Christ. Okay? So your old life is your psyche life. I'll use some Freudian terms for you today. Your old life is your psyche life. That's the life that you're born with. That is the natural human instinct that's prone to animal nature desires, okay? And so until you get born again, you don't get a really good healthy perspective of what real love is, which I'll show you today. And so this basic instinct of love is the innate love that a child has for their family and the, the longing for it to be reciprocated. And this is a love that needs reciprocation, okay? The Bible doesn't actually have this word in it, but it does have the opposite of this word in it. And it's the word estorgos. And this is the opposite meaning without love. Everybody say without love. Okay? And so it's, this is what happens when you're young and you're devoid of love or you get hurt or wounded or cheated on, multiple lovers not nurtured, abused, uh, neglected, all these things, abandoned, orphaned, all these kind of things that happen when you're young. And in turn what happens is your heart can get hard. And then you move past the feeling. You don't have that loving feeling in your life anymore. And so a good scripture to understand that concept is Romans chapter 1, and in particularly verse 31. Now in Romans chapter 1, if you ever read your Bible, this is a great, a great pattern to show how people, all people, have this innate desire to love and to love properly. Okay, Romans 1 talks about this. And what they do is they suppress the truth and in turn... They give themselves over, or the Bible says God gives them over, which means that he yields to them to go their own way. And then in turn, they fall into all these healthy, un, un, uh, dysfunctional patterns. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving. That's the word for the opposite of storge. This is the opposite. They, they're without love, unforgiving, and unmerciful. They get hard-hearted, and they become distant from God's love. There is one other unique word that is in the Bible that God uses of the kind of love that we should be having for one another. And it's a combination, a compound word of another form of love, which is philea love. It's where we get the word brotherly or brotherly love. Okay? And the word philea is an understanding that God gives us a desire and a compassion and an affection and an attraction, not from a sexual standpoint, but an attraction towards others to help them it's a compassionate, caring, kind love. And so he uses this word, philostorgos, and this is the understanding in Romans 12.10. It's Christian brethren love. It's, it's to love dearly, be devoted, to be affectionate. So you see here, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Oops, something's happening with the video. And this is the kind of love that Noah had for his family. This is the kind of love that Jacob had for his sons. This is the kind of love that Mary and Martha had for their brother Lazarus in the Bible, okay? And this is healthy, good love, okay? Another form of love that's what we see as the most common form of love in the, wor in the world is the word eros, and it comes from the Greek mythological god eros. 
and Eros is the god of sexual desire, physical attraction, and physical love. The Romans also had the same god, and the Romans' version of Eros is the god Cupid, which is a naked child with wings and a bow and arrow that shoots you, right, and then infects you with love, okay? But, but understand that Eros can have a biblical context in the sense that God causes two people to be very attracted to each other, and it's designed in the context of marriage to be, of course, sexually turned on with your partner, okay? But what happens with this kind of love is it gets skewed, and this is the root word for the word erotic, okay? And so erotic love is really not love. It's more so lust. And erotic is the arousal of sexual desire and excitement. The original intent of this word would be between a husband and a wife. But when that's not in the healthy, proper context, it becomes very dysfunctional, right? And so Freud took this term, eros, and he came up with a theory on it. And he said that eros, eros love is our life instinct or the urge to self-preserve ourselves without inhibition and to enjoy life to the fullest, right? And so that's how I lived. I lived with eros Freudian theory, erotic love. So I would go to the clubs every night, looking for the hookups, looking for somebody to hold me, looking for somebody to be close to me, looking for somebody to comfort me, looking for somebody to, you know, fulfill and fix what was inside of me that was missing. I'd play in reggae bands. For those of you that don't know, obviously you see me play the percussion here, but I followed the Grateful Dead around the country and played in reggae bands in South Miami Beach. And when I would play all night at the most popular clubs that are still there to this day, when I drink margaritas and the palm trees would be flowing and the full moon is shining, when the waves are lapping at my feet and the girl, I had the girls and the drugs and the party, when it was all said and done, I'd lay on my bed in the morning with a hole and a void inside my heart because none of those things could satisfy. So God has a satisfac satisfaction love for you. And until you get satisfied by real love, you'll always be looking to be fulfilled somewhere else. So I'll give you an example. Your spouse can never meet 100% of your needs, ever. At best, it'd be 80%. At best. Most of the time, we settle for about 60%, okay? And what happens is, the other 20 or 30 or 40% that your wife doesn't seem to have looks so attractive in somebody else when they come along and they have what your wife or your husband doesn't have. And then you think to yourself, the grass is greener on the other side. And then we have cheating, we have divorces, we have all kinds of dysfunction that happens because we're expecting our wife or our partner to meet 100% of our needs when only the Lord can meet 100% of your needs. So what I can't give to my wife, she has to learn to fully get it from the Lord. And I have to grow, I have to understand her personality, her love language, I have to work on it. And marriage is a lot of work, let me tell you. We're constantly working on it. But I understand that where she falls short, he doesn't. So when she, when she can't encourage me the way that I want to be or feel like I need it, I have to learn to get it from him. Because if I don't have it from him, what will I do? I'll run to all the other lovers or all the other things to satisfy me on the inside. And then I'll think, man, I could have married somebody else that would have had what maybe somebody else has or what she doesn't have. And those are lies. Those are total lies. And so... We'll talk a little bit more about why love is a fruit and how you cultivate that in your life and in your marriage in just a moment. But I want to go back to this understanding of erotic love because it really is 
the most predominant type of love that's ruling and reigning in our society today. Okay, people are broken on the inside. People are, have a void in their heart because they don't know the Lord intimately or they're not abiding in his love. Or you had years and years and years of being raised with dysfunction. That was me. I'm so angry and mad at my past. It doesn't mean I'm living in my past. But I really wish that I would have been raised differently. Because I was raised with so much promiscuity in my life that it took me years and years and years and years of wrestling with the Lord and wrestling with my flesh to finally get over it. A long time. And that's why I'm so patient with you. So patient with you. Because God was so patient with me. My favorite thing about the Lord has always been this. Always been this. And I learned this early on. When I first gave my life to the Lord, I made so many mistakes. Man, I would blow it big time. I would do, the, do some bad stuff, and I was a Christian. That's because in my soul realm, I wasn't really allowing the Holy Spirit to cultivate and work on me, but I did some bad stuff. And I was amazed how every time I would do something bad on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday, the next day, God would do something that would rock my world, and he'd lavish me with his kindness and his love. And I'd say, now this doesn't make any sense to me. He should be mad. He should be angry. Why is he continuing to love me so much even when I blew it so bad? And this is why. Because the Lord was teaching me that the only way I would ever overcome blowing it so bad would be to be fascinated by the greatness of his love. Because true love casts out, perfect love casts out all fear. And so the only reason why I would run after other things is because I had this void and broken thing inside of me. So God was showing me that his love was greater. That's why I'm never going to beat you over the head with the Bible. And if any of you are struggling, I don't care if you were at the bar and you had a one-night hookup last night. I'm glad you're here. I'm not kidding. I don't want you to walk in shame. Please, don't listen to the lies of the devil in this church. He doesn't want you here, and it's always a battle to be here. It's always a battle to be here. Because I speak truth, and I speak life, and I call you out of fear, shame, and hiding. And I do it in a loving way. And the devil doesn't like that. And what I want you to know is I don't want you to be in shame and condemnation. But I want you to understand patterns and how certain things happen. Okay? And so <clears throat> when you have a, a, a broken, skewed ver understanding of storge love, the natural love that you should have had with family, the bond you should have with your dad, your mom. And look, dads check out. Dads are not present. Dads weren't there for so many of us. My dad left my mom and I when I was one. Now, again, that's not the case for everybody, but that's the case for a lot of people. Moms were checked out. Growing up in homes where marriage wasn't happening, you saw a lot of dysfunction. I mean, my dad was looking at playboys when I was all through my childhood. I'd find them all over the house. In my room as a teenager, I had posters of girls Farrah Fawcett and all these girls, they're not models around now, but they were then. We even found one of these pictures. It's like Cindy Crawford and all these girls were up on my wall. And I grew up with this world of sexuality and promiscuity everywhere around me. And that's so much of what we see on TV. I mean, look how popular movies like Fifty Shades of Grey or Fifty Shades Darker. These, these are world understandings about love that's false and doesn't ultimately bring hope and life to you. One of the things that eros and dysfunctional eros leads to that we have to address on occasion without doing a whole sermon on it, 
and me just killing you with, this, with statistics is the understanding of the Greek word porneia, which is where we get the word pornography. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about porneia because it's in the Bible 26 times, all right? This word por for pornography is in the Bible 26 times, and the definitions mean where you can find in the Bible is fornication, homosexuality, adultery, illicit sexual intercourse, bestiality, incest, worship of idols. All of these things are de defined as porneia in the Bible, okay? Now, many of you may not know some of the statistics of what's going on with pornography today, but every year they get worse and they get worse and they worse. Those things that I just said to you, those words that I just used to define that word, are the top five most searched pornography titles today. The ones that I just said. I'm not even going to repeat them because I don't even like them, okay? Now, you should know that there's about 324 million people in the United States right now. 324 million people. Every day, there are 70 million internet hits for porn on just one of the top three websites. 70 million now, if there's 324 million people in America, do the math. That's about one in five. So that's a sad statistic. But at the same time, I'm not going to turn a blind eye to it or make you feel in guilt or shame or pretend it doesn't exist. The average age a child looks at pornography is 11. 11 today. Because the ease of access to get to it is way easier today than it ever was a generation ago. That's why, parents, you have to have your smartphones locked down. You have to know what your kids are watching on the iPad. You can't even turn a blind eye to kids' YouTube anymore. Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah, we have to be much smarter and much wiser and never think that little Johnny, 12 years old, who's got an unlocked smartphone hanging out in the world's public system and parents aren't living for the Lord, just, just think that they're innocent and they never would do that. I'm just having some real talk with you today. It's a new day. So what I'm telling you is, is we got to be smarter, wiser, and sharper. And the answer isn't to be angry and fight it in a negative, dysfunctional way. But the way to do it is to bring supernatural love into your home, to have God's right kind of love ruling and reigning in your heart, and to be wise and smart and protective. Know where your kids are. Don't just assume these days anymore. You can't just assume. Do you know that there are 34 million emails a day that are sent out to solicit pornographic images and most of the time when a when a child or a teenager gets hooked into it they clicked something wrong or an email popped up and they were solicited because porn has no mercy when it comes to their victims it doesn't matter their age and you just can't turn a blind eye to it anymore one in seven youth are solicited every day for pornography one in seven okay you know the lowest day of the year that pornography is searched on the Internet? You'd think it's Christmas, but it's not. It's Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know the most popular day of the week every single week that pornography is searched for? is today. So you need to understand that the enemy is working so hard to give a skewed, dysfunctional view of what love is. Okay? We read an article even in, in one of the top news sites, conservative news sites, that we like to check every now and then, and it posted an article. It's been circulating around five reasons why married couples should watch porn. 
Now, there's stuff that's happening out in society that I don't even want to mention. There's cultural norms of things that people are doing to little girls that breaks my heart, and you can't pretend or just turn a blind eye to it. Nor am I going to freak out about it or make it whole topics of discussion. But what I am going to do is say we've got to become aware, and the greatest way that you can make the change is to stop the demand. And the only way that you're going to stop the demand is to get healthy in your heart. Not be more religious, not go to church more. That's, this isn't going to fix you. You don't make disciples on a Sunday morning. We're having a monologue right now, not a dialogue. Disciples are made in dialogue. But what I'm doing is I'm challenging and I'm teaching you to think different, process different, and understand I'm just teaching you my own pattern of how I spun out of control. And now I understand, man, this is how everybody else is doing it. So let's share some testimonies. Let's get some experiences and help other people get out of it. Okay? So half of the Internet users every day are viewing pornography. Every second, 28,000 people are watching porn, bringing in over $3,000 a second into the industry. Billions and billions of dollars are being spent. Every 39 minutes, a new video is being created. Every 39 minutes. 24 million websites just dedicated to pornography. This is why I tell you this. Please understand my heart in what I'm saying. People are broken. We have a society that has a skewed picture and vision of what love is. Now, this is all pretty bad news, but I promise you I've got some good news coming to you today. But here's what I want to make sure I reiterate again. If you're a couple sleeping together, if you're hooked on pornography, if you got a broken, skewed vision of love and you are here today, you need to know that I love you and I care for you and I'm so happy you're here. I am so happy you're here. I love you and God loves you and we want to help you and we'll never give up on you. Please keep coming. We'll let the Holy Spirit do the work. It's not my job to clean you up. It's the Lord's. It's my job to show you the greatness of who he is and show you there's a better way because I was hooked in it once and got delivered out of it. And so now there's a lot of grace and compassion to help you, okay? And so we have a problem. People are broken, hurting, and have a false reality of what true love is. We're driven by attraction due to an emptiness and void in our hearts. And when you're empty on the inside, you turn on the country music and you start singing, looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too yeah. many And so what happens is, you knew I had to cue that. I've been saying that so many times, right? Now, look, we got to have some fun and lighten it up. It's okay to smile. I know I'm giving you some heavy revy on a Sunday morning. Most pastors will never have these conversations on a Sunday morning. I, I am telling you, most won't. And I care about you. But we've got to shine light into the darkness so that we can get free and get, get out of it and help others to get out of it, okay? And so bars are full every night. People are chasing after one night stands. People are broken on the inside because they're missing a proper understanding of love between family and friends and, most importantly, with the Lord, okay? And so... The next form of love that I want to talk about is the word phileo love. Phileo love is a love that is a close friendship or a brotherly love. 
It's to have complete regard and contentment with one another and with yourself. Philea love conveys a strong feeling of attraction, but it's not sexual attraction. So let me give you an example. I'm a high encourager. If I get around you, I'm always going to be attracted to you because of what I see in you from the Lord. I have an attraction to God's people and people in general because I love people. It's a brotherly love thing that's inside of me that has to express itself, but it's not dysfunctional. So I can look at somebody and say, oh, they're attractive, but really I see what's inside of them, but I'm not thinking how can I hook up with them or what they look like with their clothes off. Okay? This is compassionate, caring, loving, brotherly love. Okay? And this is a love that has an antonym to it, meaning an opposite. You know, the opposite of phileo love is the word in the Greek, phobia. It's the word for fear. Okay? And so that's why in 2 Timothy 1.7, God says, I didn't give you a phobia, a spirit of phobia, but I gave you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And there's a pattern here. He gives you the power to supernaturally become a son. He gives you the ability to love the right way, which I'll show you in a minute. It's the highest form of love is agape love. I'm going to show that to you, okay? And then you get a sound mind. He makes your mind strong, and the understanding of sound mind means that I'm mentally strong, therefore I am mentally and physically disciplined, self-disciplined, okay? And so that's a process, and that takes time. So philea is the understanding that, uh, and it's the most general form of love in the Bible, and it's the understanding that we have a love for one another or for fellow humans. It's care, it's respect, it's compassion for people in need. The most common form of this type of love is a friend. It's friendship. So if you have any friends or somebody you call friend, the most common understanding of that philea love is that. It's friendship. It's benevolent love for others. Here's a great scripture to help you understand. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So we have to be taught by God how to properly have philea love and benevolence towards others, okay? We have to first have an experience inside of us. So the word for phileo has a, a root word to it, and it's the word philia, okay? Now, you can think Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, put it in context. But here's a neat understanding I want to share with you, okay? Love is a verb, right? We know love is a verb in the sense that love is an action. Love demonstrates itself. Love does something, okay? But you can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. So philea love, if that is the verb, then the root word of that philia love is a noun. And the mindset is, is I possess something inside of me. And because I possess that love in me, I now express it through a demonstrated action. Does that make sense? Okay. That's why I teach you here often, you have to have an in you experience before you can have it through you. <clears throat> to really understand so much of what I teach, you've got to let God put these experiences into your life. I'm going to hammer you on this every day. That I, Every time I speak, you can pretty much account that I'm going to talk to you about intimacy with the Lord, spending time with Him, hearing His voice, yeah. worshiping, enjoying Him, diving into His Word, and experiencing His presence, okay, every time that I meet with you. And so first you have an experience in you, and then God does it through you. 
And so phileo love comes out of something that's inside of you. And finally, I want to tell you the greatest term for love that we all have to experience and know, and that's the word agape. Agape love is selfless, sacrificial, unconditional, and it's the highest form of love. It's the highest of them all. It's perfect love, such as the love Jesus had for his disciples and for humankind. It's God's immeasurable and incomprehensible love for humankind. This kind of love is completely selfless. This kind of love doesn't think what I'm going to get in return. And it demonstrates itself no matter what your value or your worth is. No matter what you think your value or worth is, this kind of love is demonstrated at all times, even if it doesn't get reciprocated. That's the kind of love that God gave when he sent his son, Jesus. This is the kind of love from Romans 5.5, when Paul said, hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So God poured out his love and gave his life when you were undeserving, whether you gave it back or not. It wasn't conditional. That's God's kind of love. So I don't think to myself, now I'm going to love you really well. And I sure hope that you start tithing. I sure hope you start giving money. I sure hope you start coming to this church. I still hope you come back. That's dysfunctional love. That's why you should be able to love a Satanist, an atheist, a sorcerer. You need to have a love for people in general. Not, not, not what they do, but you've got to have this deep agape love for other people, regardless of how they treat you. Okay? It doesn't mean that it's okay. It doesn't mean you don't show tough love. It doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. I mean, there's, there's a lot to that. But the point is, is I love everyone no matter who they are and what they do, and God requires me to lay my life down for them. It's divine love. God gives this love to those who are undeserving and, and substantially inferior to himself. So he gives this love no matter what, whether you're, you think you're worthy or not, whether you think you have value or not. And so many times I have people come to me and say, I just don't feel worthy. I don't feel like God accepts me. I don't feel like God is pleased with me. Then you don't know God's agape love. He may not be pleased with something that you do, but he loves you and he cares about you deeply. So much so that Romans 5 goes on to say that when you were completely without hope, when you were ungodly, Christ gave his life for you. We know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, but they'd have everlasting life, which is the God kind of life. Everybody say this to me. Say transference of life. That's what we're doing today. That's what we do with others. God transfers his life into us, and then we transfer life into other people. Okay? And the only way that we're going to do that is to have his agape love inside of us. Okay? And so if, stor if storge love was broken and unnurtured as a child, it leads you to have estorgos love, which means you don't have love, hard-hearted, unfeeling. Listen to the pattern, which ultimately leads to eros love, being skewed and broken, or erotic love, and all of its results. Then what happens is our phileo love in, and relationship, both internally and externally, is broken. And then finally, you just say to yourself, love stinks. Love stinks. <laughs> Come on, guys, that's funny. I mean, you can laugh in church. 
Now, my wife never heard any of these songs. These are all before her time. Oh, you heard that song before? You know, you can't have this message without some good love songs and understanding that the world just really has a misguided understanding of what real love is. And so we don't show them just by hoping they come to church. What happens is, is we get a transformation on the inside, and then we stop living the way that we used to live. So now I'm not chasing for love or doing all these other things that the world does in an unhealthy way, but rather I become love. And when you become love, it's infectious to everyone around you. People want to be around that. Amen? And so the only, answer to fi- is to, the only answer to fix these problems in our hearts and society is to experience God's agape love continually, first by receiving it, then believing it, and then living it. Let's say that together. I receive it, I believe it, and then I live it. So it's a pattern. You've got to receive it, you've got to believe it, and then you've got to live it. Last week, I talked about how you abide in God's love. So Jesus said, if you obey my commandments... You will abide in my love. Abide in my love. Several times in John 15, he talked about abiding in his love. So the way that you abide in in God's love is by being obedient to do what he tells you to do. Here's why. The actions of love that he tells you to do causes you to remain or live there full time. All of his commandments are designed around love. All of them. So when we learn what Jesus wants us to do and we do it, here's what happens. Inside of you, a seed of God's agape love by the Holy Spirit when you're born again is deposited. Now, that seed is a small seed where you get a basic understanding, but you need nourishment, water, good relationships, care, tenderness. Most people should know at Rock City Church we love one another here. What I want more than anything here is a loving one another, more than the power, more than the miracles, more than the dream interpretations, more than casting out demons, and I like all those things. But if we don't have love for one another, which is the most excellent way, we're going to miss everything else. I don't care about how gifted and powerful somebody is. What I care about first is the love that's inside of you. And that's why love is the greatest of them all. That's why love is so vitally important. And that's why you can understand in James 4.4, when James calls this generation adulterers and adulteresses. Pull up James 4.4. He calls them adulterers, and it's harsh in a sense. But what he's saying is that, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's the world mindset. It doesn't mean that I don't befriend people in the world and love them. What it means is that I'm not befriending and chasing after the world's system of materialism, self-gratification, me, 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 everything's I this and I that, it's all about me. Now what happens is I have a new love, and now I'm pursuing and chasing after the kingdom and God's standard so that I don't become an enemy. Understand, an enemy can simply mean opposing patterns. It doesn't even necessarily mean that you have to hate God. But what he's using an extreme analogy to say, look, if you're going to keep chasing after the things of the world, then you're positioning yourself in opposing patterns against God's standard. And God's standard is so much greater. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's full of love and life and passion. I didn't trade my life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll and all those other things for a boring, dead, religious, no-power lifestyle. Is anybody with me today? Am I the only one that understands what I'm talking about? Are you guys all right? I, I hope I'm not putting you to sleep, but I'm almost done, huh? 
No, I don't think it is. Oh, well, I just got double power going on if that's the case. <laughs> so once again, please say this with me. Love is a fruit, not a gift. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. This talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and the first fruit of the Spirit is what? So it's a fruit that must be nurtured, cultivated. It needs water. It needs sunlight. It needs, it needs uh, fertilizer. It's a seed that must grow. If you don't have faith and the word and life and love being poured into you, the seed becomes dormant. And it does not grow or it dies inevitably, okay? And so I want to show you the greatest definition of God's agape love. You all know it. You've heard it a thousand times at weddings. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but what I love about 1 Corinthians 13, one of the greatest revelations about 1 Corinthians 13 for me is that it's sandwiched between chapter 12 and chapter 14. Now, that's not incredible revelation, but it's the understanding that in chapter 12, Paul's talking about the gifts and the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And then he concludes in the last verse of chapter 12. Now let me show you the most excellent way. And then right after he does the whole teaching on 12, he goes right into tongues and prophecy and supernatural miracles in the church in chapter 14. Because the premise is, is that love has to be the foundation of everything, even before spiritual gifts and power. And of course, we'll read some of this chapter 13, but I encourage you to read it all on your own another time and to meditate on it. Just, just don't, don't just assume or go, well, gosh, I've heard that so many times. So let's look. I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Version of the Bible. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Just three verses, but there's a lot to say. There's 16 things of what love is and what love isn't. Verse 4, love endures with patience. And serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful. It's not jealous or envious. Love doesn't brag, and love is not proud or arrogant. I really like this next one. It's not rude, it's not self seeking, and it's not provoked, nor overly sensitive and easily angered. This is probably one of my greatest issues in my life. I'm gonna be transparent with you. Now, don't nod your head like that. You don't have to call me out in front of the whole church. I'm already calling myself. Oh, yours too. Okay, she was saying herself too. All right, good. We're good. Hey, listen, we're family here. I don't have to pretend anything. We've only been married six and a half years. We're learning too, all right? So what happens is, is when you have a skewed perception of yourself and what love is, you get defensive. And you self-preserve yourself and you protect yourself because you have the need to be right and to never be wrong. And then you get overly sensitive because you think the other person's against you. And then the enemy works full time to, to conquer, to divide and conquer your friendships, your relationships, and especially your marriage. And so love isn't, isn't sensitive, so sensitive and easily angered. Why? Because I've died to self. Or let me rephrase that. I'm dying to self every day. How's that, all right? Every day, let me tell you, it's a dying to self. It's an everyday thing. Paul said, I die daily. You don't just arrive in this thing. Every day, it's a little less of you and a lot more of him. And that takes time and pruning and cutting things out of your life and laying your life down. And so, love does not take into account a wrong endured. You don't even take it into account. Only the Lord can help you do that. You're not seeking revenge or holding the past of what somebody did. And let's make sure everybody understands that Jesus died for an adulterous bride, just in case you forgot. 
Jesus came to an adulterous people that they loved and cared for that walked away from him. And when he came, he didn't have, and even his own bride that he had loved and demonstrated compassion and kindness was spitting on him, pulling the hairs out of his beard, sticking thorns in his head, and mocking him. Okay? And he still said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We need a lot more forgiveness in our lives. It doesn't rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes. Believes all things, looking for the best in each one. It, that's why I'm always looking for the best in you. Now, I have to overcome the stigma of American westernized church, of people coming into church and not looking always at the best in me because I'm a pastor, okay? We've been hurt. We've been wounded. We've seen all kinds of dysfunction. But let's break that cycle in our lives, and let's love each other and one another really well, okay? So it believes all things, hopes all things, and it remains steadfast during difficult times, and it endures all things without weakening, and then the next verse goes on to say, love never fails. Love never fails, ever. Let's say that, love never fails. But what kind of love am I talking about? I'm not talking about eros. I'm not talking about erotic. I'm not talking about the natural desire for reciprocated love. I'm talking about God's agape love. And only you can be real with yourself to say something's missing in my life. And you can't fix missing. Let's say that. I can't fix missing. You can only replace it. And I was trying to fix it nonstop with all kinds of other lovers and chasing after drugs and alcohol and the things of this world. Okay? Love is a fruit, not a gift. Meaning, God puts the fruit of his love inside of you, the seed of his love, and then you cultivate it and you grow it. I'd like to ask the worship team to come up right now. And I want to close by going back to this scripture because I love it so much, 2 Timothy 1.7. You've got to remind yourself of this scripture continuously. Okay? Only God's perfect love can drive out fear and torment. Some of you are having nightmares. Some of you are constantly dissatisfied. I've had people, Christians, tell me I can't give up sex before marriage. There's just no way. And I've said the only way that you're going to be able to do it is to be fascinated with the Lord and desire to do the right thing. If the desire doesn't shift and you get a healthy perspective of how much God loves you, you'll never be able to do it. Being more religious isn't going to do it. All the religious routines and disciplines won't do it. What does it is a transformed heart inside of you, and now I get a new seed planted in me, and that seed replaces the broken that I had from the past, and now I cultivate it, I keep coming to church, I read my Bible, I worship, I enjoy the Lord, not through I have to's, but because I want to's. Are you guys following me this morning? You guys following me? And so, let's look at this scripture one more time. This word for fear is the word phobia. It's the exact opposite of philea. And it's the understanding that God did not call you to be afraid. Because when we sin, what we're really doing is we have forgotten our identity and forgotten the Father's love, and then we fall into fear, shame, and control because we think that either, A, I'm never going to meet the right person, or number two, got to fill this void inside of me because my flesh is ruling and reigning. God gives you something else instead of fear or phobia. He gives you dunamis, dynamite, effective working power. He gives you agape love, and then he gives you a sound mind. If you are struggling with depression, anxiety, fear, worry, sleepless nights, and your mind is spinning out, I'm going to hammer this every week because the battlefield for our mind is nonstop. 
depression, fear, worry. I'm not going to make money. I'm never going to find that right lover. And let me just tell you something, girls. If you're single, my wife and I were talking about this. It's really hard to find a handsome, good-looking man that's on fire for Jesus that won't compromise. We know. So therefore, men, if you are single here, take care of yourself. Be holistic, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Okay? What you want, you first have to become. Okay? You have to first become. Same for the ladies, too. I'm looking for sold-out, laid-down lovers that are going to trust God. Where is the trust and the faith in the Lord to know that God can do something supernatural for you? And let me say this one last thing. If you met your spouse at a bar before you knew Jesus and you hooked up, got pregnant, and got married, God can bring the two of you together and get you fully satisfied with his love so that when you come together now, your marriage is everything he, and he would have wanted it to be. It's not too late and it doesn't mean the marriage should end. You made the decision. You didn't know. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And even if you thought you knew, you know what? God's a God of a million chances. Let's get back on track. If you're here as a couple living together, sleeping together, let's get you on track and get you right with the Lord. And then you get under what his healthy conviction is so that you can do the right thing. Okay? Because anybody that's born again has a conviction of moral righteousness that comes into their heart. And that's what helps you to do the right thing. Amen? Doesn't that just feel good? Thank you. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up.